Clear for takeoff. Runway 28 left. Fly runway heading. Welcome to another brand new episode of Living in Flight, your go-to podcast for everything in the world of aviation. Exclusive interview conversations with industry professionals and enthusiasts. Strap on your seatbelt, put on your headset, and get ready for Living in Flight. Hey guys, it's Matt and Drew, and we're happy to have you back for another episode of Living in Flight. Matt and I are really excited to introduce to you our guest today. We were lucky enough to sit down with Brian Davis, the Chief Marketing Officer of Minnesota's hometown airline, Sun Country. Brian has an extensive resume in the world of aviation and was willing to talk to us about his history and past experiences with other airlines, along with what it was like to lead Sun Country through its transition into a low-cost carrier. We were also fortunate enough to learn about overall marketing in the aviation industry and what challenges the airlines faced throughout the pandemic. This was a great conversation. We hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Let's get to it. Brian Davis, uh, here live here in the Twin Cities, and uh, I'm the Chief Marketing Officer at Sun Country Airlines. Been there for coming up on five years now, Nice, which has been uh, a very exciting time, um, certainly for the airline industry, but also for us here at Sun Country. So glad to be here talking about it. Awesome. I'm glad to have you here. Um, why don't you tell us a little about your education background and how you got started with... Uh, with marketing and kind of what brought you up to Sun Country recently? Sure. Gosh, um, if my education background. So if we want to go in the way back machine, um, when I went to undergrad, uh, my major entering into my freshman year of undergrad was, um, I was a percussion major. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> the only percussion major in the music department. Um, and because like that was fun to do in high school so I, of course like why don't i make my whole life out of this mm -hmm. and then uh, a few months into my freshman year i thought like oh i don't want to do this for my whole life mm -hmm. <laughs> and um really kind of went on search for something that i you know could see myself doing the rest of my life kind of bounced around at a handful of different classes and took a marketing class in the business department and really kind of loved it and i think what i loved was the the psychology of like what makes consumers do what they do. And, and you know, sure. you, you start with understanding who people are and how they think and how they work mm -hmm. and then make sure, you know, um, that you're building a product that's right for them and how to tell the story. And where did you, where'd you do your undergrad at? So that was at a small town, a small school that you've never heard of in central Ohio. And then okay. uh, when I came out of there, um, wound up, uh, in the aviation industry. And, and after I did 12 years at Allegiant, then I went back and, uh, uh, got my MBA from the Wharton School at UPenn. Oh, nice. Um, which yeah. definitely, like, I feel like the second time around, um, I, I was in a much better position to, like, actually learn from the experience when you're 20 years old. Like, right. With no, with minimal business experience, yeah. it's tough. You know, yeah. So you did, was Allegiant your first job right out of, after you got your marketing degree? So actually my first job, I was executive director of a children's youth camp. Okay. At a camp that I had grown up attending um, as a kid, and I was, excited to be there as executive director, which um, was a cool job because I got to use like a, a wide range of all the business skill sets. feel like I had a little budget to manage and I had some staff and I had, you know, had to market to recruit campers for next summer and had to, you know, build an HR team and figure out how to recruit employees and counselors. Really enjoyed it. But also kind of after a few years of doing that, I was there for about three years, started to feel a little claustrophobic that I was, um, in the same town where I had grown up and been my whole life and kind of wanted to get out there and see somewhere else. And I, I didn't go seeking out an airline job. Mm -hmm. Um, but m my brother is a few years older than me had gone out to, um, 
Las Vegas and finished his degree at UNLV and did an internship. Now, this would have been like late 90s, early 2000s with um, one of the first voiceover internet telephone companies. So this is like early 2000s. This is cutting yeah. edge technology. So he went and did a, an internship with a company called Empower. Um, and I think nothing came of that business. But mm -hmm. two of the guys who uh, were founders and leaders of that company um, had moved on and had taken Allegiant over out of bankruptcy. Oh, sure. Maury Gallagher and Andrew Levy. And so my brother said like, hey, if you're looking for something interesting to do, I don't know anything about airlines, but these two guys are really smart and really interesting and everything they do um, is really fascinating. So if you could like get next to them, you'll learn a lot. Yeah. And so like I reached out to them through him and they interviewed me. And I, so I joined Allegiant. This was in early 2005. Okay. Um, and at that point in time, Allegiant was truly a startup. Like I said, it had yeah, been in they bankruptcy. Have? They were, we had, I think we had seven MD-80s okay. <laughs> operating to 11 airports in and out of Las Vegas was the only place that we operated. Wow. Um, and yeah, we t that was like pre- um, any IPO or any external funding. So the airline was literally, we were living off the cash flows of the tickets we sold today is what we like paid for the business. And so they were wow. scrappy times and lots of, uh, you know, cool stories. I'm sure we could tell. Yeah. So what's that, what, what's that like then? You know, you've got an airline that's so small and you're trying to get a name for it and advertise in these towns and make people aware, Oh yeah, we can, we can fly this small airline, like get to Vegas. Well, I think it, so first of all, like I didn't start off in marketing. My first six years in Allegiant, I was in kind of this, I was a utility player and I bounced around to like a bunch of different departments. Most of that time I spent doing what we would call like airport planning, airport development, where I would go on the road and go meeting with airports and pitching them on like why they should want us to fly to their airport and try and negotiate affordable access to, you know, using the airfield and the terminal. Hmm. And um, that was an interesting job because no one had ever really heard of us. There wasn't, there wasn't any kind of ultra low cost air carrier presence here in the U S um, Ryanair over in Europe was about the only yeah. thing happening yeah. at that point in time that we could like point to. Sure. And so it was a hard story to sell. And like a lot of communities and airports were skeptical, you know, today I think anyone would take allegiance phone call. Um, that was not the case back then. Yeah. So I would, rent a car and go driving around the airport or go driving around the country meeting with airports and like trying to get meetings. I, and wow. I often say like in that, those years, if there's a strip of blacktop and in the United States that you can land a plane on, I have been there and I have had lunch with the mayor. Yeah. And, um, uh, so, so I did that for about six years. And in that time, our network grew from those original 11 airports to, uh, about a hundred. Wow. wow. Um, and then at that, and I had been on the road as kind of this evangelist for the brand in, in all these communities for, those six years. And in that time, Allegiant went through four vice presidents of marketing in the course of four years. And so we were like turning over. Yeah. And, and I think. Was it like just as such a demanding job or was it not what they thought it was going to be like? What was the. I think it was, we were just a really unique company okay. and there was nothing else out there quite like us. And, um, th that's when Andrew Levy, who was at that time, the president of Allegiant called, called me in and said, Hey, We've been struggling to find the right person. He said, I think the problem is we're going out and finding people who are experts in the field of marketing, right? but don't know anything about kind of our DNA. And they come sure. in and they're, it's hard for them to kind of like get the ethos of like what this company is all about. Right. And he said, I want to try doing the opposite and taking somebody who like gets 
what we're all about and maybe like, you know, can go learn the disciplines of marketing. And he's like, I want to plug you in and see how you do. He's like, you know, you've been on the road selling the story, you get the brand, you know what we're all about. Yeah. And I said like, Andrew, like, gosh, I like, I had this, I majored in marketing, but like, I couldn't tell you the first thing about how to get an advertisement onto a billboard. <laughs> and I remember him telling me that and he's like, well, he's like, that's okay. He's like, I'm not asking you to hang advertisements. I'm asking you to build a team and like, they'll know how to do the disciplines and you, you right. know, you're here to lead them. And, uh, so it's about the second half of my time at Allegiant. Then I pivoted over to marketing. Okay. So, but, but, but back to your question. So we're a startup, we're scrappy. We do, did not have money to spend on like branding and advertising. Um, part of that was factored into the communities that we chose to serve. And we chose to go into airports that were so small and um, had never seen an MD-80 land mm -hmm. in their community before. So just us showing up was newsworthy by itself. Sure. And, you know, we, you know, we landed the, the first commercial airplane in Fort Collins, Colorado. So yeah. we like dominated the local news and like gossip circuits just by the fact that, you know, commercial service finally showed up. Right. Um, and then we often said early on that we weren't trying to sell the brand of the airline. We were just trying to sell the brand of Las Vegas, which everybody knew like Vegas has this huge global top of mind awareness. And right. so all you have to do is say, like, get people in Fort Collins, Colorado, excited about Las Vegas, and we will win their business eventually because we're the only way to get there. Right. Um, and so we didn't have to get them excited about us. We just wanted to get them excited about the destination. And for um, many years, like that was an effective, low cost strategy for us. You're selling the destination, not, right. not the brand. I, I think an, an aha moment for me early in my career was we, we did a big customer research study um, and, and ask them all these questions about like word association. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear airplane or airport or all these kind of words and all the feedback that they gave back was super negative. It was stress and lines and anxiety. Sure. And this is like early two thousands, all the, like the TSA presence was new and it was a yeah. very stressful, confusing thing and people didn't understand. And so, um, while I'm guessing most of um, the folks in this room and the folks listening um, are drawn to aviation and find aviation to be this incredible thing, yeah. we have to recognize that the general public actually finds aviation to be a very scary, intimidating thing. Yeah. And so to contrast that, we ask those same customers a word association, like, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear, hear words like vacation? And all of a sudden, like the emotions are really positive and you can see people's faces light up when they start talking about going to the beach or reconnecting with their friends or spending time with their kids and like, you know, turning off the work email. And, and we very consciously said, well, you know, which of those set of attributes are we actively trying to associate with? Do we want to align ourselves with all the stress of flying or do we want to align ourselves with all the like relief and uh, of vacation? And we'd much rather prefer the second. Sure. And, and, you know, I would say nobody ever comes, at, you know, through, through the lens of Sun Country now, nobody comes to the Sun Country website today and purchase a ticket because they're sitting at home thinking about how wonderful it would be to fly in a 737. <laughs> yeah. Well, they yeah. come to the, they come to the website and purchase a ticket because they're at home saying how wonderful it would be to, to be, be on sitting beach. on the beach in Cancun yeah, or hanging sure. out with friends in Las Vegas or reconnecting with grandma that we haven't seen in a year. Right. So, it's, it's not the flight on the plane that we're selling. Right. It's the opportunity to be in the destination is what we're selling. Yeah. So when you're, when you're doing your marketing campaigns for Sun Country, how do you apply that philosophy? 
I think for us, it's going to be like the dominance of our advertising is going to be images of people enjoying themselves in the destinations that we fly to. Now there is, um, to the extreme, we would say, never talk about the planes, never talk about that part because that part can, you know, evoke stress and anxiety for customers. Because we at Sun Country in particular over the last five years have been on a bit of a transformation of our product. Right. And like, you know, we've put all new interiors in all the airplanes. We've added free in-flight um, streaming content. We've added all these kind of things. We have felt that it is important that we spend some percentage of our time talking about what it's like to be in the airplane to kind right. of like level set customers on what they should expect the experience to be like. Sure. But, you know, if we were to, you know, make a, a, a cloud picture of like all the different advertisements that we have out there, I think you would see 80 to 90% of that is going to be destination focus imagery and 10 to 20% Which, of it is going to be makes, like flight yeah, focused. That makes sense from, I actually just got a Sun Country email, I think like today or yesterday. And it was like that, you know, beaches, the pictures of the destinations, like all of the, you know, the places that you guys go or that, and that, you know, that you can be at instead of, you know, not just a 737 on there. This is kind of an odd question, but does that, does that philosophy potentially preclude business travelers and whatnot who are out there kind of deciding what airline to fly by the amenities on the plane unless where they're trying to go? Oh, I'm sure it does. But like we business travelers are going to be steered away from our product because of the schedule that we fly. Like it all starts with a flight schedule and we fly limited flight frequencies nonstop from the twin cities to exciting vacation destinations. And like, oftentimes we only have flights two days a week, four days a week. And those patterns, you know, like aren't going to fit many people's business travel needs where it's like, I need to be, I need daily frequency in and out multiple times a day so that I can, you know, get in for my meeting, get home for dinner with the family. Right. And, um, because we don't offer that, we just acknowledge now having said that, like, I hope that there are people traveling for business who find a schedule that works for us. And like, they're certainly welcome, but that's not who we've designed or built the product to before. So taking a few steps back here, what's the transition like from Allegiant to Sun Country? I was at Allegiant for 12 years in that time, started kind of as this utility player, run around doing airport stuff, moved over to the marketing side. That's the, the where I got the experience to kind of understand the consumer point of view, uh, ran the website, uh, um, we call third-party products like uh, a- attaching hotels or rental cars to itinerary, loyalty sure. program. I stood up the, the credit card and loyalty program at Allegiant. Um, and then... Kind of re after 12 years, I reached a point where I started to ask myself, like, it's been an incredible journey. I love the people I'm working with. I've learned a ton. Um, but, but, but I felt like, you know, what am I going to learn in the next year or two that to build on kind of what I've already done and right. started to feel like I'd kind of like reached that plateau where I was looking for something different. I was also, um, recently married and my husband and I were getting ready to start a family. We had a baby mm-hmm. on the way. And so, um, I made the decision to formally retire from okay. Allegiant and move on and I actually kind of like, didn't know what I was going to do next. Mm-hmm. Um, the day after I left, I got contacted by, um, Copa airlines down in Panama and okay. they were in the process of standing up a new airline in Bogota, Colombia called, um, Wingo. Okay. And Wingo yeah. is, um, it's basically it's, wholly owned by Copa. They wanted a low cost presence, but wanted to do it in a way that distinguished it from the Copa brand. So they didn't kind of like, rather than pull the Copa brand down, create an independent brand. So they started launching this airline called Wingo operating 737s in and out of Bogota. Um, and so I, I, they brought me on as an advisor to kind of like help them think, you know, how to be low cost carrier. What is sure. Um, and, and basically the low, the core tenants of the low cost carrier are, 
um, run the airline to deliver the lowest price point possible, um, which often means put as many seats as possible on the airplane, right. get, get the lowest possible unit price, and then um, and strip out all the kind of amenities and then give the, present the customers with the, the menu to build back the itinerary that they need, whether it's seats, bags. And so that would say like globally has been the, the playbook. So it was just down there kind of like helping them stand up that operation for about six months. And then uh, Jude Bricker, who mm -hmm. um, had I'd worked together with for about 12 years at Allegiant, we were pretty much there together that entire time, um, had taken the role of CEO up here. And he called me and said like, hey, I think there's a really cool opportunity. Would you come join me up here? Nice. So that was the opportunity to come up here. And it was, um, Sun Country is such a, a truly unique <sighs> opportunity in the aviation space. I don't use the word unique. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like to overuse it, but yeah. um, this was unique in that it's a brand that's been around for 40 years, mm -hmm. super high uh, brand awareness in the Twin Cities. Like, mm -hmm. like almost everybody here knows the name Sun Country airline mm -hmm. and like is familiar with it. But, um, as a business, um, we're making, I would say razor thin profit margins. You know, sure. the airline was able to pay all of its bills was solvent. Um, but at a time when the industry was making really large profit margins, we, uh, Sun Country is making really thin profit margins. And the risk there is there's no, um, extra cash to be reinvesting in the future. Right. So at that point in time, Sun Country, had never owned an airplane in its history. We were operating, I think, 28 aircraft or so, all yeah. of which were leased. Um, we did not own our own website that was operated by a third party. We oh, did wow. not own our own um, loyalty database. And so, like, all of the core assets were kind of outsourced. And so we saw an opportunity to kind of, like, rebuild that and, 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 and um, you know, build on the existing brand awareness, but yeah. kind of, like, um, and so for me, it was an opportunity to like go back and kind of do a lot of the things that I had already seen done, but, um, uh, at, at a smaller company and with an opportunity to be in a leadership role. What does that transition look like? Because I remember being used to fly sound country and it was like a really good deal for first class. You could do like $150 upgrade to LA. So what it was is, a really great deal. In I fact, it was it. so good <laughs> that it didn't cover the cost. <laughs> I can't imagine it did. Um, but I guess what, what is it like? Okay. So you make the determination we're going to become a low cost carrier. What does that look like on like day one? Where do you, right? where do you, yeah, start? Where do you start? Like, where, 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 where do we strip the planes first? Do we lower the fares first? Like what is, yeah. What's that? So I, I would say big picture, then we can zoom in and talk tactics a little bit, but like big picture, it turns out like managing the product change with the customer was easier than I expected because okay. it turns out like, like you say, everyone was aware that we had this first class, but, um, may not come as a surprise to you that, uh, hardly n basically none of those seats were purchased at the time that a customer came to the website and bought a, bought a seat. Sure. So everybody bought a seat in the back of the airplane right. at, at a reasonable price and at, and a good product. But everybody knew that there was this rule at Sun Country that like 24 hours before you could call in and if there were empty seats in first class, you could buy an upgrade for, you know, a, a nominal amount. There's like a laminated paper they had like at the check-in counter yeah. and it had like the airport and the, it was like a straight cost and not matter how many yes. like seats. It was awesome. And that cost did not cover the direct cost of the meal that I think you were served at that point in time. So oh, it was wow. totally a loss leader. Um, but like everybody kind of knew that it existed. But when you look at it from a customer point of view, it was like this surprise and delight. It was a great thing. But but at the end of the day, the core product in the back of the airplane 
was a good deal that customers were willing to purchase. And so right. if we knew that if we invested in that and made that better, that we would, you know, have no problem maintaining a healthy relationship with our customers. So I think that part was easy. The part sure. that I completely uh, did not anticipate was um, bringing the employees along on that journey with us. And so if you think about those first class seats, because so few of them sold, if you were traveling as a non-rev employee, you were just about guaranteed first to get upgraded <laughs> in first class. Yeah. And so if you were to go ask the typical Sun Country employee, you know, pre this transition, what does it mean? What is it like to fly on Sun Country? They would describe to you what that first class product is like, because that was their experience sure. with the product. Um, and yeah, we were the the big bad jerks who showed up and, and ripped that out pretty fast because yeah. it was a significant loss leader. We knew we had a product in the back of the airplane that customers liked because they were buying it up every day. Um, but kind of, you know, we could have done a better job messaging to employees and bringing them along on that journey and helping them understand why this made sense. And then we launched a, about a one year effort to invest over $20 million in the cabin of every airplane. Also when we showed up, I think the majority of airplanes that we flew still had ashtrays in the armrests to give oh, you like wow. a sense of like how old the interiors were. Yeah. So just putting brand new seats in every plane, um, those seats are the exact same seats, uh, that are in Delta 737. So for those people who live in the market here, like it, it is a comfortable seat that like if they've flown on Delta, they've probably experienced that same seat. Sure. Um, um, and we added the free in-flight entertainment. We, you know, continued to provide free poured beverages on the aircraft, which, you know, is not the case on Spirit Allegiant Frontier. So we, th we felt like those differentiators, um, and, and it just took a, probably a good year of like proving that this product was going to be a good, comfortable product that everyone could be proud of. Um, and then after that, after about a year or so, um, felt like we kind of like won the team over, but the bringing the employees along on that journey was the part that I probably didn't anticipate. All right, so you you come in, you guys do first classes out the window. First class is gone. Sad. Employees are now on board. After it took after some time. Some time. Yeah. So then, and then was the next the twenty million dollar investment to standardize the cabins? Yeah. So I think first thing was uh, first class came out, and we like you know filled the cabin with with triples. But there was a hodgepodge of seats. Like I said, sure. they, they weren't all the same. We had a lot of, and so we launched a $20 million investment to put all new interiors. But, you know, from the time you make the decision and sign the contract, right. I think that was about a one year project okay. for them to manufacture the seats, them to show up and then kind of like, you know, get the, get the, the maintenance line lined up to get them right. all changed out. And sure. so, um, and then, you know, once the new product was completed, we had all new interiors, free in-flight entertainment, um, uh, we, uh, worked with the employees on a, on a redesign of the livery and the, the, if you've seen the new, the, our newest version of the livery, which is the one that's dominantly, uh, orange uh -huh. was an employee selected livery. So okay. know, we, we came that up with several different mock-ups and put it out to them to vote as a way of, of, you know, symbolically, but symbolism is important that like we, Hey, we're, we're going on this transformation and a lot's going to change. And some of those decisions you don't get to have a voice in and, you know, wh wherever we can, we want to like allow employees to have a voice and delivery is something that airline employees tend to take a lot of pride in. And yeah. um, so uh, really proud of that. I think there was another airline out there that did that. And it was like a 50, 50 poll. Like it was, I don't pretty split. Which, yeah. <laughs> they split it right down the center on whether to change it or not. And it was like, it was very good. Was the one that won your, your choice. Yeah. Can you tell us more about that role in like designing an aircraft delivery? What is that? What's that like? Sure. Well, like, 
I'm sure you can go hire a design firm to do this for you and pay hundreds of thousands of dollars. Sure. Um, when you're going through a low cost transition, that's not the path that you choose. (laughs) So we have a graphic designer in house who designs all of our like digital ads and billboards. And, um, uh, his name's Chris. Chris is just like an outstanding, um, designer, but also kind of like, I think gets a lot of like who we are and our brand and our ethos. And so Chris and I got together and started to say like, Hey, just like go online and print out every photo of every airplane around the world that you can find. And he like, we took a conference room and hung probably like, you know, a hundred pictures of airplanes on the wall and just would like walk around with a marker, like circle things that you like circle, you know, cross out things that you don't like. And yeah. and we would just have conversations about like what looks cool on a 737 and what doesn't. Yeah. Um, it kind of helps that we have a single aircraft type. It helps in a big way. Cause like a, a legacy carrier that has to put their brand on lots of different aircraft types is, is very much limited in what design elements they can use. So, right. So we've got kind of go look at all these and then I, I give the credit to Chris and I would say like, okay, now like take all that and like go mock up some designs. And he would come back with like, you know, 20 different versions of sun country. And we would do the same thing. We'd be like, okay, like this, like this, hate this, hate this. Yeah. And, and go through, you know, it was over the course of a couple months, kind of like whittling that down to, we got down to four designs, which, which I will say in terms of putting it out for a vote is a risky thing to give four options because you have the possibility that like the one, the one that gets the most votes is not the majority. Right. And so it's kind of like, you don't want to have a final product that like the majority of your employees aren't bought into. So, um, but, but we took the risk of doing that. And I will say that like, because I was the final gatekeeper that got to decide what, which ones went out to vote. Like I liked them all. Like I I wouldn't have let them be, be an option on the ballot if I didn't, um, if I couldn't have lived with it, but, but yeah, I think, uh, the final product, uh, especially now, like seeing it out there, I will say like, um, from the ground, when you're watching the aircraft come in, um, our old livery is kind of hard to tell the difference between us and a Southwest 737. It's yeah. kind of like the same color palette balanced yeah. in the same way. Um, whereas, uh, the new one, you could totally spot my, I've got yeah. a four year old that when I pick her up from school now, she always, we, we fly kind of under the approach path. And so she always asked me to open the sunroof so she can look for planes on the way home oh, nice. and she can <laughs> totally spot a sun country plane. And the, the other thing that, um, in addition to like, you know, the, the orange, if you wouldn't know this unless we pointed it out probably, but in the, the back of our aircraft has this like dark blue mm-hmm. and in it, there's these like thin blue lines. And those lines are actually, um, the topographic, what do you call it? Yeah, topographic um, from a lake depth chart of, um, Lake Minnetonka That's kind of as a way yeah. like of while we were going through all these changes, we wanted something that we could, you know, point to our employees and say like our, kind of the fact that our DNA is from the twin cities and it's going to continue to be that way. And this is our home and this is going to continue to be our home. We wanted a tangible way that we could point to of like showing that and demonstrating that. And so, um, like I said, to most passengers that probably wouldn't notice or wouldn't mean anything, but hopefully our employees kind of see that. And it's a reflection of our commitment to our hometown. Higher level question here. What's the most challenging part of marketing in the airline industry? I would say one of the most challenging parts, um, you know, I already, we already talked a little bit about the fact that there's this tug of war between like, we're all work in aviation and we want to talk about airplanes and customers. Like we have to acknowledge, like aren't as into airplanes, they're into being somewhere different. And so one is kind of like constantly fighting that battle and reminding ourselves to focus on the destination, not on uh, the plane. But the other thing, the tug of war is just kind of, um, customers when it comes to aviation, their, or, or travel, their stated preferences, um, 
do not align often with their purchase behavior. And what I mean by that is like customers will, will demand that like what I want is an all inclusive ticket. I want to pay one price and I want everything to be included. Mm-hmm. And then if you present them with two different ticket options, one of them, you know, I can fly for $500 and get everything included, or I can fly for 150 and choose an a la carte menu. We'll always choose the lower price. Sure. And so we, we live in this kind of world where what customers say they want and their behavior are very different, which is why you've kind of seen the industry shift that way to an a la carte model. And it's, I think, learning to really focus on purchase behavior and like, let that be our guide. Like we, we have the opportunity to watch customers make their way through our website every day and see uh-huh. what um, they're interested in and what not they're not interested in and like let their, their actual behavior and their actual purchases be what informs us to what's important to them and what kind of airline we should be building. Do you find that the order in which you present things like affects the level at which they buy it? Like is somebody more inclined to pay to pick their seat if it's presented them at the end of the process versus when they just bought the ticket, right? Like is there a, there's definitely like a lot of science into that. I, I will say, one of the th- the thing that I'm probably most proud of that my team has accomplished at Sun Country in the, you know the last five years that I've been here is a redesign of our website. And so, when we showed up in 2018, if you were to go um, and and we we gave ourselves this task and said, if you're a party of two booking a round trip vacation. Mm-hmm. Um, and you go to every airline website in the U.S., it will take you about 50 to 60 actions, clicks, or entering information into a field to complete the purchase. 50 to 60 actions. And if you think, okay. like, every yeah. one of those actions is, like, is a hurdle standing between you and the buy now button, right? And right. so um, at Sun Country, so industry average is 50 to 60. Mm-hmm. Sun Country was 74 actions. So we were the... Oh, wow. We required the most level of effort from a customer to complete the purchase. And so one of the results of that, this is like only makes sense, is that we had a really low percentage of customers who were actually booking their ticket directly with us. About There's about a 50-50 chance of a customer booking with us versus buying our ticket through Expedia or somewhere else instead of booking it at suncountry.com. And like that's bad for us for a whole bunch of reasons. One is it's really expensive. We pay, you know between five and $10 in fees every time a customer books a ticket from someone other than us. So like, that's a really expensive thing. Yeah. But also like the lack of relationship between us and the customer, if you book it through somebody else, we, we don't have your contact information to send you in for, you know, there's construction happening at LAX airport and we want to advise our customers to kind of like how best to get there. If you've booked through a third party, oftentimes we don't even have your email address to, to send you those kind of informational emails in advance. So for a lot of reasons, it's better for the customer to book direct. Um, but we had made it so difficult that, yeah. you know, about half of customers were actually doing it. So we launched on this project. We scrapped, and I told you their website was operated by a third party. So we like brought it in house and started from the ground up and built an entirely new website. And our website currently requires 39 actions to oh, wow. complete a purchase. So we yeah. went from the most effort of any airline in the U S to the least effort of every, any airline in the U S and in that time, the percentage of customers who booked directly w- with us grew from 50% to closer to 75%. So, you know, just like you would expect, you make it easier and like more people will book directly with us. Yeah. And that strengthens, like, like say it's, it's helps strip costs out of the business. We're not paying third parties to sell our tickets for us. And also, it gives us a better relationship with our customer as you're going through. We can kind of like, you know, inform you what the journey is going to be like. You actually see our seat map laid out when you select your seat. We start to like get the customer 
to understand what the plane is going to look like when they get there. So it just sets us up for a better relationship with the customer. We've also been able to do that by increasing the shopping cart that the customers select too. So fewer choices results in customers like making, opting into more things. Um, it's kind of a little bit counterintuitive there, but um, it just delivers a better experience. Now, the next phase for us is to get to what you started talking about there. It was like, start to optimize that journey and find out like, well, what if we ask things in different order? What if we um, present, you know, present different options to different people? You know, the, the needs of someone traveling alone versus traveling with a family of four are going to be very different. And right. so ultimately we want to get to the website, to, to the place where the website is smart enough to know to, Hey, offer a minivan to the family of four going to uh, Florida, but not to the, the bachelor party on their way to Vegas. Yeah. Um, with Sun Country, do you have the ability after you've purchased your ticket, you've done that all, to then go back like in the app or something and upgrade what you've done? Because I remember there was a, the airline that I used to fly every week for work. One of like the worst things they did was for like from an upgrade perspective that killed my free upgrades was they made it so that after purchasing your ticket, you could use your miles or dollars. To, oh, like I'll just spend 50 bucks more. There goes a first class seat. And apparently it was like wildly successful. So, so yes. So like a any choice that you can make during the original purchase, you can come back and add at a later step. And it's, um, it's never at a lower price. So it's not like you can get a better deal by waiting, Sure. but it does for a lot of customers spread out the purchase. Right. So like, you know, my, my willingness to pay when I'm staring at a shopping cart, that's going to be, you know, hundreds of dollars because I'm buying a couple flights on this kind of thing. And I think like, ah, I don't want to add one more thing. But then once that purchase is in the rear view mirror and 90 days have gone by and now I'm one, you know, I'm a week out from my trip or I'm, you know, checking in and I'm 24 hours out all of a sudden paying the seat price to like sit in a better seat. I, I'm not looking at, at it as um, the whole shopping cart. I'm only looking at the cost in front of me. And I think like, yeah. I want to be comfortable. Like I'm willing to pay for that seat. You got me on that the other day. <laughs> that that exact thing happened to me. Like last in April, I went down to Key West or well, we flew to Fort Lauderdale, but it was on the way down there. I was like, ah, I don't, I don't even remember what seat we had, but we're like down there and we're getting ready to check in for, to come back. And I was like, I was with my fiance and I'm like, well, what if we just pay the extra like $14 to get a little closer? Cause we like checked in our seats were like in the back, like yeah. in the middle and we we're like kind of getting in at like a, I don't know, later time. And I'm like, I think it's worth it to pay the extra like 40 yeah. bucks for the two of us to get like row nine or something. All right, let's take a quick break and play just a quick game. Let's do aviation. This or that Boeing or Airbus. Oh, <laughs> Oh, this is not the way I would go. Well, Okay, like like I'm gonna. Obviously, I work for an all Boeing operator. I'm a big fan of Boeing. It's great aircraft. But I will say, like like I'm, I'm guessing, you know, most of the listeners when they hear that question are thinking about the cockpit. Mm -hmm. um, when I hear that question, and you think about uh, the customer point of view, um, the Airbus aircraft I think is about 12 inches wider um, oh. in the cabin. Yeah which is meaningful. Yeah. And so yeah. you can either wind up with two extra inches in every seat or um, Allegiant does an interesting thing where they put seats in their Airbus that are actually the width of 737 aircraft, which gives them an extra foot in the aisle, which makes boarding and unboarding faster because someone could be standing there tinkering with the uh -huh. overhead bin and boarding continues to move past them. And sure. so like, I will say like Airbus makes a great product. And, um, but, uh, uh, no, I'm, I'm, 
We're thrilled with our all Boeing fleet. It's not changing anytime <laughs> soon. Team Boeing. All right, number two, window or aisle? Depends on time of day. Okay. And, and like, I, I do a lot of my early, in the morning, if I'm heading out somewhere, I'm on the aisle and I don't know why, because I'm like, you know, reading a book or something. Yeah. But the red eye, I fly a lot of red eyes and red eyes, I want to be up against the window so I can sleep. So you can take a nap. It's That's noon. It. Which one do we go with? Uh, noon, I'll, I'll take the aisle. All right. Interesting. All right. Bulkhead? But, but let oh, me also oh, throw oh, in, oh. Okay, so that's my personal preference, but also let me throw in a strange fact. Um, from, uh, I'll ask you, which do you think, which seat has the highest willingness, uh, is a customer willing to pay the most for? Window, middle, or aisle? I'll bet you. I want to say window, I but I don't think that's the, the answer. Middle because people want to sit next to each other. You are right. Yeah. So the highest will, the, the, the most valuable seat is the middle seat because um, at, when we travel alone, we think of our choice being between window or aisle. Right. Um, but when you're traveling with someone else, the, the preference becomes traveling together with someone. And right. that preference is, carries sense. a bigger weight than the others. So yeah. the middle seat, um, when it's available uh, with another, is the highest willingness to pay. But as soon as you consume um, the window in the aisle, of course, the middle seat becomes worthless. Right. Nobody wants to sit in the middle alone. Yeah. That's that makes sense. That makes, uh, yeah. All right, number three, Drew. Bulkhead or emergency exit? Emergency exit. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I would go with bulkhead. Why? Because like some of the emergency exit seats don't go back. Yeah, that's fair. And I'm tall. I, and I've got thing, long like, legs. I don't, I don't put my seat back if I'm in a, if like if I'm like in the last row of like extra leg space seating, then I won't put my seat back because I'll be like nice to the people behind me. But like I am more than willing to shove my back into your lap if I know <laughs> you have extra space. And so like if I'm going to be in an extra space seat, I want one that, with the seat that goes back. I, I'm fairly tall. I like the leg room of the exit row versus the bulkhead. Yeah. I don't like and uh, kicking my feet up against the bulkhead. And also um, the uh, bulkhead seats got the tray table and the armrest yeah. the seat is narrower and it's tighter and you got the yeah. wonky little tray table so yeah i'm gonna take the exit row on that i'm with you on that one all right uh number four checking a bag or carrying it on so again weekend trip i'm gonna give you another for most of my life like i would have emphatically said carry on without sure. a doubt yeah but something has happened to me in the last couple of years I now travel with a two-year-old a and a four-year-old. <laughs> yeah. Two of them. Two kids. <laughs> so uh, we, we are now check team bag check. people. Yeah. We're team, team check bag. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I thankfully you know, don't have to deal with that. All right. This last one. Pretzels or peanuts? Ooh. Ooh. Like we're talking like, you know, throwing back Pretzel. to like old school aviation snacks. Well, pretzels. Now it's, like, but, now it's like granola bar cookie or something. No, right? no. Like you, you know we, what we have on Sun Country, right? It's been admittedly a while. Dots pretzels. Oh, well, yeah. Then, oh, yeah. Yeah. Come yeah. on. There's nothing better than that. Dots are great. Let's talk about COVID. So talk about marketing during the COVID pandemic. How hard was that to navigate? What, what became the strategy? How'd you batten down the hatches? Yeah. Um, marketing through COVID is one of probably the strangest experience of my career. Um, so we were, you know, going gangbusters heading into the beginning of 2020 we were on track to have like uh, the biggest year in the history of sun country we were um at c coming out of the gates really strong yeah and then you know march the world falls apart and uh, for the first time in my career april for us was a negative revenue month so like not just negative profit margin but negative revenue meaning like cash was being returned to customers faster than new bookings were coming in yeah um and which is 
terrifying. Um, when you look around and say like, Hey, you know, we, we as a business have got obligations to meet, um, obligations, you know, to our aircraft lessors and airports that, that we owe bills to and all that, but probably, you know, most importantly, our biggest obligation is we've got 2000 employees whose families are, you know, buying groceries and putting food on the table with the paycheck that they take from here. And so, right. um, how do we survive and continue to like, you know, meet those obligations, um, in this kind of environment. So terrifying. Yeah. Um, fortunately, like, like that season, um, didn't last for long. That was that, that initial kind of panic was short. And then I think we, you know, we, as an airline, as an industry, as society kind of like started to find a way to navigate through this. Um, we learned a lot. I learned a lot about air filtration systems on airplanes. And, yeah. Um, our relationship with our customer came like became pivoting from, you know, we were not showing pictures of beautiful beaches and people like huddled around the craps table in Las Vegas. <laughs> right. Um, so we, we quickly pulled down all of our kind of destination advertising like that. It was like, it, it would feel tone deaf for us when the CDC is saying, stay at home for us right. to be, you know, you, you log onto your, um, email account or whatever and get served a banner ad for a vacation destination would, would seem, um, irresponsible. And so kind of pull all the advertising down and we pivoted to, um, you know, being a source of reliable information and trying to like push out to our customers, like, you know, here's what we know today about, um, air filtration on the airplanes and, yeah. you know, air on the airplane circulates, um, from the ceiling to the floor, not from the front to the back. So you're not actually breathing the air that comes from the person in front of you. Like it's being constantly recirculated and that, that you can have a lot of confidence in the safety of flying. And so it became a source for pushing that information out. Um, you know, learning new procedures to how to clean aircraft and find new chemicals that like will, uh, give everyone the comfort that the aircraft is sanitized, but also not, um, harm the integrity of the aircraft, the airworthiness of the parts. And so, sure. um, it was definitely a shift. And the, and the other major area, uh, that I would say we are still working our way back out of is just providing good service to our customers during that period of time. So customer service and our call center is one of the functions that reports up to me. Mm -hmm. And, um, the types of calls, as you can imagine, changed dramatically, yeah. uh, but not only the type of call, but the anxiety level and the stress level of the individual on the other end of the phone who, um, is confused, is scared, is frustrated and, you know, needs to make changes. Uh, so, you know, l learning how to, and wanting the flexibility that is not built into the system, like, like the system is not capable of, um, wasn't designed for people to like change dates multiple times and things like that. But, you know, wanting to give customers the confidence that they had that kind of flexibility, but also working within the constraints of the system, um, uh, were some of the challenges that we faced over the last couple of years. Has that, has that changed? So you talk about, you know, being able to change things, make changes, you know, do all that stuff differently during that phase of, of the, you know, everybody's life. Is that, is that stuff that's still implemented going forward? And has that changed your guys's perception on allowing or like giving flexibility back to the customer? I know some, some, you know, yeah, other awesome. airlines for a while were like, yes, we're going to do this forever, you know, for the next few years or whatever, we're going to allow you to change for free, no matter what you're doing anytime, any day, all of your points are staying with you. Yeah. You um, could almost argue that COVID's like one of the best things to happen for consumers in the airline, like consumers, obviously not for the airlines, but right. like I just saw there's another airline that said like, if you cancel, 
you can now take like what you bought and give it to somebody else. Like it's just every day it seems that airlines are becoming more and more flexible. Sucks for the airlines in COVID, obviously, but for the consumers, they really seem to have come out on top from this. Yeah, and and we're watching that closely. To be honest, like I, I don't know that I fully know like where things will shake out for sure. us and for our customers, where those policies ultimately will live permanently. Because um, I think. We've always known there's carriers like Southwest has, has historically had the most flexibility where right. you could, you know, day of travel, cancel your trip and get 100, retain 100% of the value of your ticket that you could move as a credit towards any other travel. Yeah. Um, but the, the reason why that works for them is the percentage of traffic that they carry that is business travel. And so while they have a lot of folks who want to make last minute cancels, they have an equal number of folks who want to make last minute purchases and sure. who walk up to the ticket counter and say, I need to go today. Um, we, it's hard to have one side of that equation without the other yeah. because we're selling kind of like big ticket item, family vacation trips, right. you know, a, a, a family plans their trip to Cancun three months in advance and picks their hotel to the, the all inclusive resort. They're going to stay at and all those kind of things. There's not a lot of walk up demand for that product. Sure. And so it's hard for us to, Schedule the flight, pay to fill it with fuel, pay for the crew to show up and fly, um, and give you know total flexibility for customers to cancel at the last minute without any kind of last minute walk up demand. Um, sure. So yeah, that's interesting. I, I don't see us going to that full flexibility side. But having said that, like we're not naive to the marketplace and kind of like you know we need to have a product that you know um, is is relevant today. Today and so uh, we're we're more flexible than we were three years ago, and yeah. uh, we'll, we'll keep watching it and kind of see what the right place balances. Did the ending of the mask mandate at all lead to an increase in sales? Did people all of a sudden become more willing to say, Oh, I'll fly now. Or were people pushing through that? Like, Oh, I'll fly. Like, I don't care. I've only got to work for three hours. I don't, it didn't translate to a noticeable increase in sales. I think it did correlate, you know, the mask mandate was lifted, was partially lifted because like, it feels like we're on the other side of this. And so we were already seeing kind of a boost in booking and folks, sure. there's no doubt that there is an eagerness in people who have like missed out on their family routines and vacations and missed out on connecting with friends and family um, and are eager to go. Probably the most meaningful benefit of the removal of the mask mandate is that it has removed a lot of stress and conf and confrontation. Right. Um, and so, uh, Yeah. It, it is unfortunate that our crew members found themselves to be in the position of like having to um, enforce this policy that was so polarizing. Like, hey, like, as an as a company that sells safety first, like I'm on the side of erring on the side of caution. And like if right. if, if it makes everybody feel more comfortable, I'm happy to wear a mask. And like but um, just seeing the level of conflict that brought into the cabin um yeah. I would say we're, we're, we're glad to see that behind us. Uh, yeah. Um, what's the kind of, what's the future of marketing at sun country look like, right? So you guys rebrand yourself, you know, become this low cost carrier. You've got a new livery, you're standardizing the, the inside, the interiors of the aircraft. Where do you, you know, obviously coming out of, out of COVID here, where do you guys, where do you guys go next? So, so marketing, let's keep in mind, like marketing is a big word that captures a lot of things. We think of, we tend to think of the tangible things in the advertising for us. Marketing flows from, you know, the brand and how we present ourselves and public relations and communications and like how we talk about ourselves to how we advertise, how we, um, how we sell through the website and what partners we choose to sell through 
uh, you know, the next, like what products we bundle with, uh, we align ourselves with hotels, rental cars, all the kind of things. And then finally, um, well also our loyalty program. So that like when your trip is over, we kind of like maintain a relationship until you're ready to come back. And then the feedback loop of our customer service team that kind of informs, you know, comes all the way back to the beginning about how we tell our story. So we've kind of got this circle of, it's all built around the relationship with the customer. Um, for us, I think the areas where we continue to kind of push forward and have work to do would be, um, on the advertising side for us, it's all about getting, um, smart and digital advertising. And, you know, we're doing better today than we ever had, you know, three, four years ago, the advertising program at Sun Country was branded sponsorships and you could go to major sporting events in town and see our logo on the billboard. Yeah. Um, and that is a valuable type of marketing and we're still doing some of that today, sure. but, uh, uh, you know, we're fortunate enough that we have super high brand familiarity in the town. So now it's all about like the call to action and that's the area where we need to invest. So, you know, if you do a Google search for beautiful beaches, um, I want to then buy the, uh, the opportunity to serve you an ad with a picture of a beautiful beach and sure. a price point next to it that says, click here to buy now. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, we're investing in that kind of like targeted digital ad that serves you up a real time price point, um, with, with, with a call to action. Um, and then the other area where we are behind, and uh, I would say COVID has made it obvious that we're behind and we are working hard to get caught up now is to um, put better tools in the hands of our customers to make um, uh, uh, changes and alterations like when disruptions happen, where we, um, I would say, don't deliver an acceptable service to our customers is when there's a storm and multiple flights are disrupted. And, you know, yeah. obviously when, when flight disruptions happen, unfortunately they don't happen one at a time. They happen because of events like, you know, a storm front moving through Florida that disrupts a dozen flights all at once. Right. And, um, we don't have a call center big enough sitting around to deal with a thousand customers all of a sudden who need service. And so what we need to do is, you know, and we are doing is investing in the tools to be able to push a customer and say like, Hey, here's all the flights in the next three days in and out of the state of Florida, click on the one that works for you. And we'll right. move you over to that. I, you know, and just rather than wait in a queue to get through to someone so that we can do it. Now I say that that sounds really easy. That's actually an incredibly complicated transaction to let, um, you know, you're getting deep into the res system to the place where you are, um, changing city pairs, you're overriding fare differences. Um, you know, it, it's a level of sophistication that, that we're going to have to do a lot of custom work to be able to do. Um, but it's certainly what our customers expect and, um, what, where we need to get to. If you could just talk, you know, working for Sun Country, right? You have, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are interested in marketing as a career, um, who might find like the airlines intimidating or something like what, what, it, what would you give advice to people who think, you know, Hey, I want to get into marketing one day. Hey, like aviation, you know, do you need the aviation background is or is the marketing background was more important? Totally. Um, no, I, I do not think an aviation background is, um, a requirement of someone working on the commercial side of an airline. Um, you know, I think, while the aviation is certainly incredible and once you're close to it, like it's hard to leave it. It's such a fascinating industry. Um, the skill sets that, you know, we need to make us good at what we do are all about understanding customers, communicating effectively, building technology that services them. Um, and so, uh, most of our marketing team at our e-commerce team probably uh, did not have aviation experience before they showed up. 
tell us a little bit about like the other stuff that Sun Country does besides their regular regularly scheduled passenger service stuff and how much do you guys go into the military charters the sports charters all that stuff how how does your team go into any of that and market that work with that what do you guys what do you guys do sure so uh, you know for anyone who's not familiar with sun country about 60 percent of our flights and revenue are you know traditional scheduled service uh, flights where individual customers purchase individual seats about 20 percent of our flights are um flying cargo for a, a, a large retailer. Uh, and then another 20% are um, custom charter flights that could be for um, a charter is defined as any flight where a single entity buys the whole flight. Okay. Um, and so those are, you know, the, the gopher sports teams flying around, or as you mentioned, we do quite a bit of uh, military. We are, we have historically been the largest provider of domestic lift to the U S military. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have some casino charter operators. So I, you know, for us, I, th- this is intentional, but, but myself and my team do not touch those lines of business. Okay. And so I feel yeah. like, um, I'm the one executive on what, you know, what we call our executive leadership team yeah. that doesn't touch those sure. so that like when I come into the building, um, every day and my team, we are singularly focused on those scheduled service passengers, um, sure. and making sure that our product and our service and everything is aligned for them. Now, having said that, like those other lines of business, um, I recognize are incredibly valuable to the company and incredibly valuable to us as a team, particularly because, you know, at that time back in spring of 2020, when we were experiencing negative revenue and, and yeah. cash was flowing out the door. It was those lines of business that allowed us to keep revenue coming in and, and quite frankly, set us up to not only survive the pandemic, but also like come out the other end of it. Um, the strongest financially that uh, we've ever been. Sure. Yeah. That, that, that makes sense. Obviously. Um, <clears throat> does, so right now, right, Sun Country, Minneapolis, Twin Cities, based, home base, the only base. Does is there a future of expanding elsewhere? Is it um, just keeping Minneapolis as a base, right? Just doing routes out of here. Is there another market that could see, you know, could be fit a good fit for Sun Country? Yeah. So th- there are definitely opportunities for us outside of the Twin Cities. We. Um, from a brand point of view and from a customer point of view, we, we tackle this kind of t- two different ways. And, and we have flights that originate in other places today. Um, last, you know, a couple of years ago, our, our best performing summer routes were West Coast to Honolulu. Um, oh, sure. and, and selling tickets to passengers originating in the Bay Area and Los Angeles to Honolulu. Um, and those customers, you know, from a brand point of view, we're filling those planes in communities that have zero brand awareness of the sun country of sun country airline. And we're doing it through our relationships with third parties. So that's where the relationship with Expedia is super value that valuable. That's where, you know, customers will find those flights in Google flights or other places Um, where the twin cities, we have deep brand history. Like this is where we focus on, you know, a direct relationship to all the places we can go Sure. Um, from a crew point of view, like, uh, it's complicated. Um, yeah. you know, we have a contract with our, you know, particularly the pilots union mm-hmm. that designates MSP as our home base. And so, um, um, I think, you know, we have a tremendous relationship with pilots union and are working with them to kind of like find a way that we can continue to grow the business that kind of like, um, respects the past that got us to here, but also kind of opens doors for us to kind of continue to grow in a way that's, you know, good for everybody. Sure. 
Well, I'll just come back. It's like, I think th- th- there was a question on there about like just advice for anyone coming yeah, in. Yeah. Yeah. The, the advice I would offer to anybody considering a career in marketing or like really any career would be, um, I go back to, I'll tell you this terrible story. Um, you'll have to bear with me from back in high school. I told you I was a percussion major and like, that was kind of my life. And when I, when I showed up at high school, um, and when you're in the percussion department, it's like the one section of the band where everybody does something different mm-hmm. and everybody does their own thing. And like all the seniors and all the older kids get to do the cool parts and the freshman gets the dumpy parts. And I remember like being handed the very first song that I'm, you know, that I'm going to be a part of. And I get this like triangle part and I'm like, this is so terrible. And I had a really crappy attitude about it. And some of the older kids tell me like, look, everybody back here wants to play the cool parts. You want to play like the timpani or something you sure. know, cooler. And the way to get that opportunity is to be the best damn triangle player that this band has ever seen. Yeah. And it's like the, the lesson there being like, if, if you want to move up, the way to do that is whatever part you have today, no matter how small that task feels or how like not exciting it is to give it 110%, give it your absolute best perform well. Um, and that's what like gets noticed and allows you to move up. And, you know, w- when I started my very, very first job at Allegiant, I was processing airport invoices. Um, which was basically the, the triangle part of airline jobs. (laughs) Like it felt like, um, I did not feel super relevant or like I was kind of blazing trails for the future of the airline. And I would like, you know, get the flight schedule and see like, yep, we landed in Fargo nine times, make sure that we were charged for nine landing fees and like, Oh, there's 10 in there. Why is that? I have to go back. Oh yeah. We had an irregular ops and had to do. And like, I was like matching up these invoices, but through that, you know, Two, three months later, I'm having conversations with my boss about like, hey, I think there's an opportunity. If we could go back and renegotiate this deal, I think I found a way that maybe we could save some money. And like by by performing that, taking it seriously, doing it well, um, yeah. you know, fast forward a year, I found myself out on the road negotiating airplane deals. And like that's what kind of um, – um, I think that's good career advice in any discipline is like, uh, don't spend your time worrying about the job that you wish you had spend your time, like, um, excelling at the one in front of you. And that's, that will open doors. So, so do you also play a mean triangle then? Not anymore. I, I told you this is my freshman <laughs> year when I'm like, triangle. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, I have not touched any instrument since that, oh, wow. which is kind of sad, but yeah. <laughs> um, so I've, I've, I actually do have another question. Do you guys have plans of having an app? This is a really important question that um, I spend a lot of time answering. Sure, uh, I'm sure you. I'm sure you there, do. But so I had, I had a, to ask. I was like, I'm no, so that's really fine. I, I, I welcome the opportunity. Uh, so, so if if you go to the if you go to the Sun Country App Store right, or, or if you go to your App Store and search for Sun Country, uh, we do not have an app, um, and that is not an accident. That is uh, an intentional choice. Sure. And the reason is, um, we are still like a company that is going through rapid change, mm-hmm. and um, I think in the next three weeks we're going to have three major deployments that are going to like significantly change, um, elements of our website, um, in ways that are, you know, valuable for the business and good for customers. I think we have one coming later this week that will strip out. I you know, I was telling you that number of actions will take about 10 actions out. Oh wow! And so like important things coming. If we had an app right now that would slow down our development by three to four times. And the reason is, um, we would be we would have a team of web developers um, building the website. We would have to have another team of developers coding in code for your, the Apple store and a third set of developers coding um, for Android. Sure. And so 
all three of those would have to be either, you know, working in parallel at three times the cost or working, you know, one at a time and at three times the timeline. And, you know, the, the complexity isn't linear, it's exponential. And so it would actually like, then you would have to add in time for them to like solve problems and work back and forth. And, um, at a time that we are changing rapidly, it would slow us down dramatically and, sure. and we don't want to deal with that. So instead we have focused on building the website in a way that it renders very clean and very functionally on yeah. folks, mobile browsers. Right. And so what we would tell folks is like, whatever you think you want to do on an app, I'm willing to bet if you went, opened your Safari browser on your iPhone and went to suncountry.com, you can do all of it on our website. Sure. Um, um, it, but but it's certainly, it's a question that comes up a lot because yeah. folks, it seems like a table stakes is like, well, are you a real airline? Why can't I find you in the app store? Um, we will get there. I think in the next two years or so, we will kind of, a lot of the major overhauling of the website will be behind us. And once we reach more of a steady state, sure. then it will make sense for us to invest in those kind of like parallel code. Um, but we're, we're, we're probably a couple years of change before we're, we reach that steady state. Cool. Yeah, that makes sense. I know that the website is very user-friendly and it, and it works on on the iphone or whatever it works really well and you obviously can get everything done that you would need to and you can download uh, the mobile boarding pass right into it goes the, into to your the, wallet, your wallet and, and, and everything kind of so it's important tools yeah but just had to had to ask that's fair <laughs> all right so we had three games we'll let you pick your game okay so it's you get to pick your poison so it was the first game was dust sun country fly here the second game was textbook marketing. How much do you remember from college? And the third game is obscure Mexican and Caribbean airport codes. Let's go with the textbook marketing. All right. Textbook marketing. And, and keep in mind, we know very little. I took a marketing class, you know. Yeah, do, do you we, have the answer? Yeah. So if we I have the answers. Okay. So, the I, can, answers. so yes, I can't be asked my way. Our marketing, okay. person, our marketing person wrote this. So. <laughs> She's fresh out of college, so she's got all of the notes here. What's the? It's like it's like that episode of The Office. What are the four pillars of consumers? He's like you know reading off random. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right. What are the four primary marketing strategies? Is this? Are we looking for the four P's here? No, it's not. That's, the four that's P's. coming down there. That's coming down there. Oh, line. I was gonna. Yeah, okay, yeah. I'll, I'll hold on to that one. Or how would you figure out the four primary marketing strategies? What would your? I have no idea what they're looking for here. How do you even, how do you even, I don't know how to give hints. I don't know how to give hints for something that I don't know. Huh. Okay. I don't know. The either, secret but... word is no, it's uh we had it as market penetration, market development, product development, and diversification. Those all sound like really good things. They all sound like <laughs> great things. Yeah. Things yeah. that would be accomplished. Yes. All, all right. right. How do you define marketing segmentation? Segmentation is uh, any means of like, breaking slicing up the audience so it could mm -hmm. be mm -hmm. yes yeah that's exactly what they're we dividing slicing the up the audience into distinct <laughs> groups of buyers who have different needs could be geography age mm -hmm. what are the four p's of marketing product price placement and promotion there you go this is too go. easy what are the seven <laughs> steps of a consumer's journey seven step now you're getting to <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the consumer journey would this be like um awareness consideration intent purchase mm -hmm. there's four of them post-purchase <laughs> yeah, yeah. dissonance yeah you know what this was too easy we're going to obscure mexican and caribbean airport codes <laughs> okay okay <laughs> well, then <laughs> uh, the m c z 
Oh, so I wasn't sure which way this was going to go. So you're going to, okay. We're going to give you the, we're, we're going to give, give you the code. code. Give you're us the city. MCZ. Is, is MCZ Cosmo? Yeah. yeah. Good job. That's right. And a lot of these have. Unfortunately, like the Mexican ones make, are, are more logical than other parts of the world. I feel like. So, well, so thank you for giving me yeah. a good country. We'll see. see if you did Canada, I'd be toast. A couple of these, you might be toast. Um, MMZ. Uh, it's not Mazatlan, is it? Yeah, it's it Mazatlan. See, look at that, two for two. MSD. Uh, Cabo. Yes. No, that's Cabo. S. Isn't that SJD? So we were having like the debate. So there's yeah, it's Ikeo versus the Ayata stuff. So we're going. And there's IKEA. also okay. Then I'll Cabo go with San, I'll, I'll go with the correct answer. There's Cabo San Luke San Lucas and los cabos that we were also but you got it right you said cabo and that's what we msd is in cabo okay uh kjs i have no idea you might also see it as mbj is is montego uh montego bay yeah good job yeah bpv you might also see it as pls I feel like I'm at the optometrist and I'm <laughs> reading the bottom line. <laughs> Neither of those help you out. Yeah. Really, no. Turks and Caicos. Oh, yeah. Which we do fly there. Yes. Well, guess where we got this list. <laughs> <laughs> MZH. Give me the, what's the other? I think Shawshank Redemption. That will help you. Oh yeah. Ziwatanejo. Ziwatanejo. Yeah, there you go. Uh, R L B. Other one would be L I R. Oh, um, Liberia. Yeah. Yes. All right. M P R. What's the other one? I don't know. I don't know either. Also in Mexico. It's also Mexico. It's a pretty good cruise destination. The port's like right in town. I don't know. Puerto Vallarta. Oh, see, that's PVR in my. Uh, so what's the, you're giving me the IKO? Well, because yeah, we, okay. we, were, yeah. we were trying to trick we you. Back we wanted forth. to make it well, even more obscure. Yeah. Well, you succeeded. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, you did. <laughs> you did really you did well. Really you, well. You, you should have more confidence <laughs> I, I in was, yourself. <laughs> yeah, that was impressive. Honestly, I would not have. I also not versed enough in Mexico and Caribbean airport. Does some country fly here? Okay. Nashville, Tennessee. Yes. Branson, Missouri. No. Ontario, California. No. Denver. Yes. Uh, JFK. No. Williston, North Dakota. Yes. Cleveland. No. That's correct. There you go. See, look there at that. Go. There you go. Look at Ooh. that. Ooh, sweats that one. We'll yeah. give him the eight, seven for eight with seven Albuquerque maybe being with- seasonal at some point <laughs> in the last five years. <laughs> Well, thanks for, yeah, thanks for, thanks stopping, for stopping by. This was another episode of Living in Flight. If you liked this episode, please make sure to subscribe for more exclusive aviation content. Have any topic ideas or want to be featured on our podcast? Send us a message at listen at livinginflight.com. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, this is Living in Flight. <laughs> <laughs>